0: Hi there. Uh, the passage we're looking at this today, uh, I think it'll really help you if you've got access to the sermon outline, which Deb will have emailed around, and also to have your Bible there and open to Romans 10. Uh, both of those will help you follow this passage, I think. Well, as we come to hear God's word, let's pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you that you've spoken to your world. Uh, you've spoken through your written word. You've spoken through the Lord Jesus, your incarnate word, and you speak through the preached word. And as we think about that this morning and hear your word preached, please bring it home to us. Help us to put our faith in you. Help us to rejoice in the beauty of the good news. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen what is god doing i guess that's a question that god's people have asked at every point in history i think it's often the case that you know as we look back at things they seem relatively clear but at the time in the middle of things they're very confusing and unsettling and so perhaps you could imagine what it was like for the israelites when moses first arrived to save them from egypt Or when having chosen Saul as their king and having God, having appointed Saul as their king, David started to rival Saul. Or as Daniel and his friends went off to exile in Babylon, they'd ask, you know, what is God doing? And after biblical history, whether it was when the emperor became a Christian or the Black Plague or the Turks threatening Vienna or the French Revolution or world wars, People would ask, what is going on? What's God's purpose here? How does this fit God's plan? Why us? Why now? Now, of course, if you think history is just the random result of material forces, you'll never ask that question. If you think that life is controlled by rival gods or opposed spiritual powers, then you don't really expect some rhyme or reason from history. You think, oh, we're at war because we must have offended the gods of war, that's why we're being attacked. What can we do to placate the God? If you think the world is just a vast, never-ending cycle, well, you just submit to your fate. But if God is the God of Israel who knows the end from the beginning, he's the God of Jesus who is faithful to his promises, if he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, then it makes sense to ask, why is this happening and what is he doing? We could easily ask that right now. Christianity has made vast and rapid inroads into communist China, but now there's increasing persecution. What's going on in the Middle East and the nations of Islam? Is the West declining? Are we losing our way? How does political chaos and... A pandemic fit into all of that. What is God doing? Well, The Apostle Paul asks a similar question. And we've been following him thinking through the answers over the last few weeks. Through chapter 9 and then the first part of chapter 10. This morning we come to the second part of chapter 10. And we'll continue on into chapter 11 as well. And the big question Paul is asking is what has happened to Israel? God promised that Israel would be his people and he gave them so much. You might remember that's where Paul began his reflections back in chapter 9, uh, verses 4 and 5. The people of Israel have the adoption to sonship, divine glory, the covenants, the law, temple worship, the promises. There's so much that they've been given. And that's all come to a climax. The promised Messiah has come to them. He's died and risen. But instead of embracing him, Israel reject and oppose him. And instead, the Gentiles are flooding in. So last week we saw Paul saying that Israel, who pursued God zealously, have actually missed him. But the people who didn't even know that they needed God have found him. What's going on? And through this passage, Paul is asking questions that some of his listeners might ask, perhaps even a critic. He's dealing with these questions of Jews and Gentiles, the Jews and Gentiles, Christians and non-Christians, might ask about this surprising turn of events. They might say to him, Paul, how can you say that you're preaching the true Jewish Messiah if Jews don't believe you? And it turns out that most Christians are Gentiles. How can you possibly think you've got the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant then, the promises to Abraham? And as he's answering those kind of public questions, he's also thinking about his own questions. You might have noticed that this whole section is framed with Paul's own agony over what's happening to Israel. Again, that's how he opens in chapter 9. He comes back to it again at the beginning of chapter 10. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they might be saved. And through this passage here, he says a couple of times, I ask. And so Paul is also wondering for himself, what is God doing? Now, now part of his answer that we saw back in chapter 10 is is that God is executing his purposes in election. His choice stands. But but that's not his whole answer. And so in chapter 10, he comes back to the question again, what is God doing? What's going on here? So I want you to see the point that Paul makes in the second half of chapter 10. And then I want to point out three implications that this has for us. So in the passage that we're looking at today, uh, the second half of chapter 10, starting at verse 14, Paul really just makes one point. It's got a few parts to it, but they're all connected together. And you'll see on it's summarized on the outline. God sent preachers. Israel heard. They understood. But they rejected. Uh, you can see the point in the questions Paul asks. Verse 18. I ask, did they not hear? Answer, of course they did. Similar question, verse 19. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? And there's the same kind of answer there. Of course they understood. Uh, my boss at college will sometimes say when staff or students, you know, to push back on a, a policy or a decision or something, he'll say, is this a problem of comprehension? Do you understand what you're being told? And the answer is almost always the problem is not comprehension. And that's Paul's point here. Israel got the message, and Paul sets out his case for this using words and quotes from Scripture. He's he's echoing the Old Testament. If you've got the NIV there and you're looking at it, you, you'll see lots of the quotes set out a bit like poetry. Uh, I've summarised the quotes on a table here. So in verses 15 and 16, he quotes from Isaiah 52 and 53, the passage we read a little while ago. Then he quotes from Psalm 19 and then from Moses in Deuteronomy 32 and then at the end of the passage back to Isaiah 65, um, A couple of verses there. And as he quotes from the Old Testament, he's drawing on a pattern that he discovers in the Old Testament. This pattern that God sends preachers, Israel, hear, understand, and reject. You can see that the major reference, the kind of framing references here of Isaiah, a prophet from 700 years before the time of Paul, And Paul quotes him, Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's a passage we read earlier, a lovely passage about the news of the end of exile, the return to Jerusalem. God has sent a prophet with this great news. But just a few verses later, we read the beginning of Isaiah 53, Lord, who has believed our message? And then he speaks about this Figure. There was nothing in his desire, in his appearance, that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected. We consider him punished by God. Israel are rejecting the message and the savior. And so later in Isaiah sixty-five, the same pattern comes. Israel didn't hear; Gentiles did hear. Israel are disobedient and obstinate. Isaiah was sent. Israel heard they wouldn't obey. But it's actually the same back with Moses. He was their prophet and their saviour. He rescued them from Egypt. God had the cloud of glory that took them to Mount Sinai. and, and, And there was the cloud and thunder at Mount Sinai. They received the law. And yet they disobeyed. And that's exactly what Moses is talking about in Deuteronomy 32. God has done so much for them, but Israel Turn their backs. And so the Lord says it will be other nations who will make them envious and angry. But this is not just about Moses and Isaiah. Uh, Those words of Isaiah especially are fulfilled in Jesus. Those words of Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected. We consider him punished by God. Uh, They're fulfilled in Jesus and his death. And again, the same pattern. Jesus came with the good news. The kingdom of God is near. But he was rejected and finally executed. Now these echoes of scripture are the way in which Paul is placing the events of his day into the pattern of the long history of God and his people. It helps him to understand his disappointment and agony in the context of God's plan. I think verse 17 shows that he particularly is thinking about his own time. In the midst of this discussion and all these Old Testament quotations, he says, faith comes from hearing the message. The message is heard through the word about Christ. And that's the message he talked about in, earlier in the chapter, that Jesus is Lord. He's been raised from the dead, that salvation is in his name. And so Paul is recognising that what's happening now is the same as what God did in the past, only even more. Here is the message. And tragically, Israel is again doing what it's done so many times in the past. So, having heard those echoes and alert to those echoes, let's see what it means for Paul's time and place. If you go back to the beginning of our passage, verse 14, there are those... Questions that Paul asks. Um, you know, he says, in effect, he says, you can't believe unless you hear, they can't believe unless they hear, they can't hear unless someone speaks the message, they can't speak unless someone's been sent. But they have been sent. How beautiful are the feet of one who brings good news. And he's thinking about himself. Like Isaiah, Paul has been called and sent. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus, you remember, taken blind into the city, and again commissioned by the Lord to go to Israel and the Gentiles to be his chosen instrument, his messenger. And so this passage is often used by Christians to talk about the need to send preachers. People will speak about you know, how can they call on the one who hasn't believed, how can they believe in the one that hasn't, they have not heard, how can they hear without someone preaching... How can anyone preach unless they're sent? So we need to send people. That's not Paul's point here. In fact, his point's almost the opposite of that. His point is God has sent messengers, especially Paul. They've been sent, they've preached, but Israel have rejected it. So in verse 16, where Paul says, not all the Israelites have accepted the good news, he's really it's really an understatement. Most have rejected it. Paul has gone to city after city and he's been rejected at the synagogues opposed and persecuted. So have they heard? Absolutely they have heard. Paul even uses verse 19, uh, Psalm 19, which talks about God's message going out into all of creation or to all of the world through creation. In effect he's saying if God's message of his power and goodness has gone to every person in every nation through the creation, then the message of Christ has certainly gone to all the Jewish communities. Uh, In in fact, if you look at the the map here, uh, this is a map that shows the earliest uh, synagogues that we know of and the spread of Judaism, the the spread Jews uh, in the first century. And through the New Testament, you know, we know that Paul himself has gone through Syria and Asia Minor and Macedonia and Achaia. In Romans 15, he tells us he's got to Illyricum, which is the far end of that uh, of that arrow, and he's planning to go to Rome. Uh, Peter, first letter to Peter is written to the Christians in Bithynia and Pontus, no doubt, you know, clearly including Jews. So they're up on that northern coast of what we'd call Turkey. Tradition has it that the apostle that Mark took the gospel to Egypt very early on. And so when Paul's writing the book of Romans, uh, the Jews, not only in Jerusalem, but spread around the Mediterranean, have heard the gospel. Uh, have, they've heard, they've understood. Paul has gone to almost every, has gone to all these cities and he's gone into the synagogue, he's, he's preached. But tragically, what's happened is he's been rejected. And instead, the Gentiles have turned. And so in verses 19 and 20, that's what Paul talks about, quoting Moses. I'll make you envious by those who are not a nation, quoting Isaiah in verse 20. I was found by those who did not seek me. And then Israel, uh, that the prophet says, and, and God says, and the apostles Says, they're all really speaking here together to Israel in verse 21 all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. So, so here's Paul's point God sent preachers, and Israel heard and understood and rejected. As with Moses and the prophets, as with Christ, so now with the apostles. I want then to highlight three insights that this passage has for us. The first is about God's gospel program. Uh, Paul doesn't know the details of God's plan, but through reading the Bible and knowing what God has done in Jesus, he can see the outline of the plan. It's that the message of Christ is going out. Just as God sent Moses, he sent the prophets, he sent the Messiah, now he's commissioned Paul to preach. And so I think verses in 14 and 15 can be used to think about God's call to mission. As long as we remember, this is not God with his hands tied behind him, waiting for us to send someone. Gospel preaching is God's program. He sends. He always has and he always will. The announcement that Jesus has risen from the dead, that he is Lord and Saviour, that is God's message. It's not a religious or philosophical opinion that we might like to discuss. It's not some tips for how to live better and feel happy. It is a groundbreaking, world-shaking announcement about God, and He has commissioned His people to take that message to the world. It's been entrusted to us. And so messengers need to be sent, and the message needs to be announced, and it needs to be heard and believed so that people can trust Jesus. That's right, Christian mission certainly should be about caring for physical needs and contributing to society, but at the very centre of what we're on about, we have a message to proclaim. It's one of the reasons why Christians have always been early adopters of almost every media. Right back at the early church and the move from uh, scrolls to a codex, the sort of early book, the printing press, films, radio, TV, the internet, Christians have always been very quick to use whatever media was around to share the message of Jesus because that's God's gospel program. And that gospel message still has to go to the Jews and to the nations. In this passage, the going to the nations is kind of the background assumption that comes more obvious in verses 19 and 20. This is a message for the whole world, for every neighbour who lives down your street, for everyone in the 250 different language groups who live in Sydney, for every people group in every part of the world. This is the message. Jesus has risen from the dead. And because we're part of God's gospel mission, we pray for that, we work for it, we support it. As churches, we support people in gospel ministry and different parts of the world, and we need to make sure that remains a priority for us, that we're praying, that it's in our budget. It's worth thinking personally about which countries you're praying for, which parts of gospel mission you support, what it is that you can be part of. But I think we also need to note God's continued concern for his ancient Jewish people. Verse 21 which presents God as holding out His hands to His obstinate people is still God's stance. Now, now this is not about political, national Israel. It's not about building embassies in Jerusalem. It's about the people over whom Paul agonizes. Now, we'll see a lot more of that in the next couple of ch- or in chapter eleven, over the next couple of weeks. But we can't think about this passage and ignore that God's gospel mission includes the Jews. So let's keep our vision as broad as God's to the Jews and to all the nations. A further implication of this passage is it does confront us with Israel's tragic refusal. I mean, Paul's point is they've had every privilege and every opportunity. They've heard, they've understood, but they won't accept. They're disobedient and obstinate. Um, This is the other side to election and predestination that we saw in chapter 9. See, why is it that Israel refuse? Well, one answer that God gives in Romans 9, that Paul gives in Romans 9 and God's word gives in Romans 9 is God chooses. Another answer is that Israel are disobedient. God pleads and they refuse and for that they're responsible. And so as we think about the messiness of people responding to Jesus there's two truths which have a mysterious connection that God chooses and people choose it's very tempting in our thinking to make it an either or to say well God chooses so we must be puppets or programmed robots or say well we're responsible so God can't really be choosing the Bible just says both very clearly and you see it in chapter 9 and chapter 10 of Romans how those two truths fit together is beyond us, but, but here we see the tragedy that Israel refused God. And when Israel refused and when others refuse, it should make us weep the way Paul does. So, Paul's reflections here remind us of the beauty of the good news and show us what God is doing now. See, why does he say, take, why does he take Isaiah's words, that people with good news have got beautiful feet? It's not that they have you know, a lovely shaped foot with perfect nails and they never smell. It's that coming across the hills with beautiful news, wonderful news, even their feet are beautiful because of that message. God has raised Jesus from death to give us life. And if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In a world dark because of sin and evil and death, you could not hear anything better. And people over the last couple of weeks have been excited about the good news about Vaccines, You know, that is good news. But the news about Jesus is far bigger and far better and so wonderful, so beautiful. And right now, at our moment in history, whatever else is happening, God is sending his beautiful message to the nations by his people. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for those who brought the message to us. They they are beautiful as we think about them. They shared with us the news of Jesus. Perhaps it goes back generations. Uh, perhaps it's just we can remember when we first heard. We thank you for them. We thank you that the gospel still goes out We thank you for your people around the world and around our community who speak for you. Thank you that we can be part of that. Help us together as your church uh, to work to proclaim Christ knowing that we've been commissioned and sent by you with this beautiful news the best thing that people can hear. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.